0: Genesis chapter twelve. Genesis twelve verse three. <clears throat> this is a famous verse in the Bible. Genesis twelve three. This is the original blessing on the Jewish people and on anyone who is their friend. And I'll show you how it passes down. Genesis 12, verse 3. God says, And I will bless them that bless thee and curse him that curseth thee and in thee shall all families of the earth be blessed. This is God talking to Abraham. He says, I'll bless them that bless thee. So what he's expecting is multiples to be the blessers, multiple people to bless Israel. Now, that's not been the case historically, but it will be future. The whole earth will bless Israel. All nations will come to Israel to bless them. But for us... Now, we can be part of that. If you'll bless Israel, you can be part of the, the friends of Israel who get a blessing. He says, I'll bless them that bless you. Look at the rest of that. And I'll curse him, singular, that curseth thee. So the him is singular, as in there is one curser of Israel. So if you're part of the curse, someone cursing Israel, you're part of the singular group that's doing that. That's the Antichrist. There's one group that always goes after Israel, and those are followers of the devil. It's satanic to be anti-Semitic, and it all goes that direction. Look at all of the historical dictators. Look at Russia. Look at uh, Germany. All the time, China, uh, even uh, um, Spain, they've all come out strong against Israel when they're joining forces with the devil. Um, okay, here's some verses on it. Genesis 25, verse 11. This blessing goes from Abraham to Isaac, not from Abraham to Ishmael. Right,
1: because he's not his
0: loins. Right, it's specific in who the descendants are that God considers the blessing to come through. So you don't get a blessing from blessing Ishmael. You do get a blessing from blessing Isaac. Genesis 25, 11. And it came to pass, after the death of Abraham, that God blessed his son Isaac. And Isaac dwelt by uh, the well of Lahori. Then it goes to Jacob, the descendants, the line uh, that God declares Jewish people. You know, there's no real reason to say one person is a Jew and one is a Gentile. One is one nation and one is the other because they're all brothers. They all are from the same family. It's God who declares this one's a Jew and this one is something else. This one is this and this one is that. You have to have a Bible to figure that out. Bloodline doesn't do it. God's the one who determines it. It goes from, the, from Isaac to Jacob, Genesis twenty-seven twenty-nine. Genesis 27, 20, 29. It says, Let the people serve thee, and the nations bow down to thee. Be Lord over thy brethren, as in brothers, and let thy mother's sons bow down to thee. Cursed be everyone that curseth thee, and blessed be he that blesseth thee. Okay, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. Then it goes from there to the twelve tribes. Now it's gone to a whole family of brothers. But it didn't start out that way. It started out one, 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 and now 12. Genesis 48, verse 9. Genesis 48, verse 9. And Joseph said unto his father, They be my sons whom God hath given me in this place. He's talking about Ephraim and Manasseh. And he said, Bring them, I pray thee, unto me, and I will bless them. Okay. Uh, verse 16. And the angel which redeemed me from all evil blessed the lads, and let my name be named upon them in the name of my fathers, Abraham and Isaac, and let them grow into a multitude in the midst of the earth. Verse 20. And he blessed them that day, saying, In thee... Shall Israel bless, saying, God make thee as Ephraim and Manasseh. And he said Ephraim and Man- uh, before Manasseh. Chapter 49 verse 25. Chapter 49:25. Even by the God of thy father, who shall help me? By the Almighty, who shall bless thee with blessings of heaven above and blessings of the deep that lieth under, blessings of the breast and blessings of the womb. So that's the full blessing of life comes through that one uh, nation, the, the 12 tribes. Here it is in Numbers, Numbers chapter 6. Numbers 6, verse 23. Numbers six, twenty-three. Speak unto Aaron and unto his sons, saying on this wise shall ye bless the children of israel saying unto them okay this is all of the tribes the lord bless thee as in all the nation and keep thee the lord make his face to shine upon thee and be gracious unto thee the lord lift up his countenance upon thee and give thee peace and they shall put my name upon the children of israel and i will bless them okay that's some of the blessing that you get into if you can be a friend to israel Deuteronomy 26 Deuteronomy 26 verse 19 And to make thee high above all nations So there's one nation that God considers higher More priority than any other nation which he hath made, in praise, and in uh, name, and in honor, and that thou mightest be a holy people unto the Lord thy God, as he hath spoken. So God intends Israel to be something totally different than all the other nations. Deuteronomy 29.29 It's hard to stay focused in Genesis because Genesis is the, the, the key to the whole rest of the Bible. So when you start investigating a verse, and I'm just picking the, you know, a verse or two out of each chapter. When you take a verse in Genesis and start exploring it, it opens up all the rest of the Bible. Deuteronomy 29.29 It says, The secret things belong unto the Lord our God. That's Israel saying that our God but, the, but those things which are revealed belong unto us and to our children forever that is the Jews that we may do all the words of this law ok so there's one nation who got the blessings of God God has promised that blessing for anybody who will be a blessing to them and he says there are some secret things that belong to God God's going to keep some secrets. He does. There's some things he's not revealed yet and that will not be revealed until the last times, until the tribulation they'll be revealed. There's some things hidden we won't know about, but he does begin to reveal things. Here he says, um, "...but those things which are revealed belong unto us and to our children forever." So there's a blessing God gave Israel. He didn't give anybody else. He gave them the ability to um, be the carekeeper of his word, the revealed word. word That's right. In Psalms 33 verse 12. Psalms 33.12 Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. Now he's talking about a specific nation. He's not just talking about any nation. And we'll see it in the rest of this verse. He said, Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. Well, whose God was the Lord in the Old Testament? There was only one nation who had the Lord as their God. All the other nations had many gods. Lowercase g. And the people whom he hath chosen for his own inheritance. It's only one nation, Israel. Deuteronomy 32.21 Deuteronomy 32.21 Now that nation can make him mad. (laughs) And here's the problem with that nation. When you get... He says, to whom much is given, much is required. When you get a, a great opportunity for blessing above other people, you also get in position for punishment above other people. Crazy. <laughs> yeah. Deuteronomy 32:21. They have moved me to jealousy with that which is not God. They have provoked me to anger with their vanities and I will, uh, will move them to jealousy with those which are not a people. I will provoke them to anger with a foolish nation. That's God saying, Israel, the people I chose and the people I blessed and gave them all of the goodies, they've made me mad. So God gets jealous. That's one of his names. He says, I'm a jealous God. That's who he is. Don't do anything to force him to act on jealousy. He says, I'm jealous.
1: Rid of all the mirrors.
0: Right. <laughs> he says, I'm going to provoke them to jealousy so they see what it feels like. They've made me jealous. Now I'm going to do it to them just so they can see what it's like. I'll uh, provoke them to jealousy with those which are not a people. Now, what does he mean by not a people? How can people who are not a people make other people mad? (laughs) Not the chosen
1: chosen people.
0: Correct. They're not special. As far as he's concerned, they're not worthy of being a people. We wrote the old Mm Mm-hmm. I will provoke them to anger with a foolish nation. So it's nations there and we know that it's people. He's not saying they're they're not really people. They are real people, but as far as the priority list goes, they're way down on the bottom. They're a foolish nation. That verse is used again by Paul in Romans 10:19 just to make a note of it. All right, Genesis 12:3. Genesis 12:3. Let's get the second half of this verse. And I will bless them that bless thee and curse him that curseth thee. And in thee shall all families of the earth, earth be blessed. So he said something there. He said that all families of the earth are going to be blessed from Israel. That's where all the families in this earth get blessed. Now that's a weird place to, to trace back all blessings from. But he says that's where it comes through. Look at Isaiah 42.6. And to show you an interesting play on words. Just one?
1: Just one.
0: Yeah. Isaiah 42 6. Mm-hmm. Isaiah 42 6. He's talking to the nation of Israel. I, the Lord, have called thee in righteousness and will hold thy hand. I will keep thee and give thee for a covenant of the people, for a light of the Gentiles. Light. What's a light? A bulb. <laughs> Brightness. However, it could be not heavy, as in light. Uh, light. Don't you spell it the same?
1: Light.
0: No, L I G H T. L I G H T. Mm-hmm. Let's look at one more verse. Look at chapter forty-nine, verse six. 49, verse 6. Yeah. Yeah, just, just watch this and then... Then you don't have to put both feet in. Isaiah 49, 6. <laughs> oh, come on. I volunteer <laughs> Isaiah 49, 6. And he said, It is a light thing that thou shouldest be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob to restore the preserved of Israel. He said it's a light thing. Now you think that means it's not a heavy thing. It's light. But maybe not. It's a bright thing. It's light. Let's see if that's what it really means. I will also give thee for a light to the Gentiles that thou mightest be my salvation unto the end of the earth so Israel is a reflector of God God is light and in him is no variableness of darkness so Israel is supposed to reflect that light he said you're going to be the light for all of these nations and so because of that that will be the blessing that comes through now Israel as a nation has fallen down on the job they don't understand anything about salvation right now. What they're doing is trying to put a dimmer on God's light. Matter of fact, go to 2 Corinthians. Moses. Um, yep, 2 Corinthians. And where is that, chapter 3? Yes, chapter 3, verse 14. Chapter 3, 14. 2 Corinthians 3, 14. I'll back up to verse 13 to give you the context. And not as Moses, which put a veil over his face, that the children of Israel could not steadfastly look to the end of that which was upon abolished but their minds were blinded for unto this day remaineth the same veil untaken away okay well there was a brightness that came from Moses when he came down from the mountain and he said the other people said hey put a veil on that thing we can't handle how bright that is so he's saying that same uh, picture is here Israel when they read the law they have a veil on their face blocking the light. They're doing just the opposite. They're putting the veil on them so the light doesn't reflect. Uh, that same veil untaken away in the reading of the Old Testament, which veil is done away in Christ? So the one thing that Israel, a Jew, has to recognize is Jesus Christ. When the, uh, Hebrews 12.3 and Ephesians 4.23 as soon as they accept Jesus Christ the veil is gone and then they can go back to being the light God intended them to be after the tribulation he'll restore them and they will be that light for all nations Isaiah 60 verse 1 Isaiah 60, verse 1 to 5. Arise, shine, for thy light is come, and the glory of the Lord is risen upon thee. Who's he talking to? He's talking to a nation here. Verse 2. For behold, the darkness shall cover the earth, and gross darkness the people. But the Lord shall rise upon thee, and his glory shall be seen upon thee. God's going to restore the glory to Israel, that he had intended, and we saw it all the way back in Genesis. Verse 3. The Gentiles shall come to thy light, the kings to the brightness of thy rising. Lift up thine eyes round about and see. All they gather themselves together, they come to thee. Thy son shall come come from afar, and thy daughters shall be uh, nursed at thy side. Then thou shalt see and flow together and thine heart shall fear and be enlarged because the abundance of the sea shall be converted unto thee that's one of those places you see water referred to as people the abundance of the sea um, shall be converted unto thee the forces of the Gentiles shall come unto thee that's exactly what God intended to do through this special line coming down from Abraham and that's what the Jewish people are supposed to be. They've not done it. God put them in timeout right now. They're in timeout. He's made them stick their nose in the corner and he's turned the light down on low. And it's nap time for them. But one day, he's going to say, nap time's over. You have paid enough. I feel like I've been reimbursed for what you've made me jealous by. And now I'm going to say it's okay, we're all good. And when he does that, he said, I'm going to fix it. That's what's called a new covenant. He's going to give a new covenant to Israel. And when he does, he says, let's start from scratch. Let's start over from the beginning. This one's going to be new and improved. There's no way you can offend me. We're going to make it all better. And then they're going to be exactly what they should have been all the way back in the Old Testament. Romans 15, verse 8. Romans 15, verse 8 and 9. Now I say that Jesus Christ was a minister of the circumcision for the truth of God. Okay, so that tells you something. Tells you a bunch of things. (laughs) It tells you that when Jesus Christ showed up, he wasn't preaching the gospel we preach today. Do we preach circumcision? No. We preach something totally different. That was Jewish. That was rules and regulations. And when Jesus showed up, that's what he was preaching. Because they had the opportunity to accept him as a nation and begin to be the light to the Gentiles. They rejected him, and so then something changed. Then he says, Israel's in timeout, and I'll go to anybody who wants to accept me. That's a new gospel that wasn't preached until after Israel rejected him. But when he showed up, he was giving Israel the opportunity to accept him so he was preaching this that's why he shows up and he says you've heard it said of old time thou shalt not but I say thou shalt not even more (laughs) okay verse uh, 8 now now I say that Jesus Christ was the minister of the circumcision for the truth of God to confirm the promises made to the fathers and that the Gentiles might uh, might glorify God for his mercy as it is written For this cause, I will confess to thee among the Gentiles and sing thy name. That's what Israel's supposed to do. Israel's supposed to be missionaries to the rest of the world. That was their job. Their job was to go out and convert every uh, Gentile nation to give them the truth. We have the truth. They did. They had the oracles go out. They had direct um, the actual originals from God. God gave it to them and says, now, go do something with it. And that's what their job was. They were to go out and convert the world. They didn't do it. They started bickering and complaining amongst each other. It's what Christians are doing nowadays. They come to church and it's all about nitpicking each other. When we've got the truth, our job is to go out and convert somebody else. It's not to nitpick each other. Although, that's what our example has been, Israel. Let's not follow their example. They got put in time out. (laughs) Genesis 12. Genesis 12, verse 10. I was thinking about this today. If we were behind the Iron Curtain, if we were in Russia 50 years ago when you could not be a Christian, and if you did, you went to a concentration camp, if we were in that day and age and we had the opportunity to meet together in a little group like this as Christians and somebody had a Bible maybe a couple of us had smuggled a Bible maybe a few pages when we got together it would be a whole different matter than the way Christians get together now Christians get together now and it's all about hey you know I live better than they do and you know look at me I'm, I'm so spiritual um, Look at what I know. Don't forget the ball games. That's
1: right. Yeah. 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 Yeah.
0: Right. And it's not about me. It's suddenly about the group as a body when it's outlawed. Then it comes back into focus what it should have been to begin with. That day's probably coming faster than we want it to. And when it does, suddenly everybody's eyes will be open, the Christians. And they'll be like, man... We could, well we wasted <laughs> we could have been strengthening each other and really um, learned something from each other had we done it the way God had intended but that's the way he grows the church is through persecution and it's probably coming Genesis 12 verse 10 and there was a famine in the land that's what normally happens right after the promise of blessing you get a testing And there was a famine in the land, and Abraham went down into Egypt to sojourn there, for the famine was grievous in the land. This wasn't just a normal famine. He said it was grievous. That's bad enough to be a famine, but now it's a grievous famine. (laughs) So he says, I'm going somewhere where it ain't so bad. And that's what we all do. We think, okay, things are bad right here. I'm uncomfortable. We're, we put a high priority on comfort. And we say, okay, if it's uncomfortable right now, then God's telling me I must need to go to Egypt. It must be right for me to do, join the world in some manner. That's what he's telling me. He's dried it up over here, so I must need to go do what they're doing. Egypt has never been good in the Bible.
1: That's right.
0: Now, they will be good one day. In the millennia after, well, in eternity. <laughs> uh, the first famine in the Bible, that's where we find it, right here. And it's sent, right after a blessing, it's sent to test Abraham. Um, he enters a panic mode. Um, and then he does what most of us do. He makes a foolish move. He does, he he's influenced by panic. And if you begin to panic over something, the thing to probably do is just the opposite of what panic is telling you to do. Because the devil's using that in order to force you to do something. So rather than panic, just sit back and say, okay, God, what is the move or not move you want me to make? Um, in 12, verse 7. God had just given him the land of Canaan. All of this land, and there's a bunch of land he gives him. Um, It's basically a thousand miles by a thousand miles in a triangle shape from the Tigris and Euphrates over to Goshen, north to Mount Ararat. It's a humongous land grant. That's the nation of Israel. Not that little slip of land they've got right now. The nation God promised to Israel, the land he promised, is humongous. He had just given Abraham that land. And what happens? He says, Hey look, the spot I'm in is not good. I better go down to the one place that he hasn't given me. (laughs) So the temptation is not to enjoy what God's already given you. The temptation is to find something that's just outside of the reach of what God's given him. Um, he leaves the promised land for um, the illusion of security in Egypt. And then when he gets there, he finds more trouble. Genesis 13, verse 7. Genesis 13, 7. This is not to give you a definitive answer to all the stories in the Bible. I'm just giving you uh, cliff notes to get you interested in it. And now you'll go back and read it, or not. (laughs) Something will pop out and, and get your interest, and you'll say, hey, I want to know more about that. And you'll go study it. Genesis 13, verse 7. And there was strife between the herdmen of Abraham's cattle and the herdmen of Lot's cattle. And the Canaanite and the Parasite Parasite I always want to call them sites parasites, parasites Parasites Dwelt in the land Mm-hmm. Yeah. The Parasites dwelt in the land Now these Parasites
1: <laughs>
0: Will pop up repeatedly And these are giants Giants pop up all the way through your Bible Because we saw in Genesis 6 what they are they're fallen angels mixing with the human race. That has happened in the past, still happening, and will happen in the future. These are giants. Genesis 15, verse 20. Genesis fifteen, twenty. And the Hittite and the Perizzite and the Rephaims those are giants I don't have time to look them all up but you can look them up those are all giants Joshua chapter 11 verse 3 and to the Canaanite on the east and on the west and to the Amorite and the Hittite and the Perizzite and the Jebusite and the mountains to the Hivite under Hermon and the land of Mitzvah Joshua seventeen fifteen, and Joshua answered them if thou be a great people, then get thee up to the wood country, and cut down for thyself there in the land of the parasites of the giants, if Mount Ephraim be too narrow for thee. So there he's plainly told you the parasites are of the giants. So those are the those are the things that Abraham is supposed to, um, to conquer. That's the land given him. But when he was given the land, it was still given to him full of problems. (laughs) So a blessing of God is not always problem-free. It always comes with God's ability, but it's never problem-free because that's how he works. Look at Genesis 14. Genesis 14, verse 1. And it came to pass in the days of Amraphel, king of Shinar. Now, we saw Shinar earlier. Ariok, king of Eleazar. Chatalamar, king of Elam. And title, king of nations. I always like this, this last king there. He, he's the king of nations, plural. And title. I know it's not spelled the same way, but when you own something, you get a title for it so he was title king of nations he owned multiples so he had the title (laughs) Shinar we talked about that earlier Elam is Arabia you find that in Isaiah 21 2 Elam is Arabia Isaiah 21 2 a grievous vision is declared unto thee The treacherous dealer dealeth treacherously. Well, that's what you'd expect. And the spoiler, guess what he spoils. (laughs) Go up, O Elam, besiege, O media. All the sighing thereof have I made to cease. Singing thereof have... Sighing have I made to cease. Jeremiah 25, verse 24. Jeremiah 25, 24. You can put down in your notes 24 to 29. I'm just going to give you two verses so you see why I say Elam is Arabia. And all the kings of Arabia, and all the kings of the mingled people that dwell in the desert, the king of Zimri, and all the kings of Elam. Okay, 25, verse 24 and 25 tell you Elam is in Arabia in Daniel 8 verse 2 Daniel 8 verse 2 Babylon reaches into Arabia Babylon is a great a, a great conquering nation at the time Daniel is there and they're trying to do what many of the conquerors have tried to do and that is conquer the whole world they want to rule it all so they're reaching out as far as they can get in Daniel eight verse two. I saw in, in a vision, and it came to pass when I saw that I was at Shushan in the palace, which is in the province of Elam, and I saw in my vision and I was by the river Eula. Okay, so that's that's Arabia. Genesis fourteen four. Genesis 14.4 Now we know what 13 is. There's some other numbers in here I've not necessarily nailed down but there's something to it and I don't know what it is. (laughs) Genesis 14. Why do we find this in chapter 14? I don't know. And why verse 4 instead of verse 13? I don't know. Twelve years they served Chathalemar and in the thirteenth year they rebelled. So 13 is rebellion. The context of 13 is rebellion. And you'll find the 13s are just nearly innumerable, the times they show up in the Bible, and it stands for something rebellious. Uh, Genesis 14, verse 13. 14, 13. Maybe they're supposed to go on to 14 and they've rebelled and they're stuck on 13. That's why he puts 14 and 13 together. I don't know. <laughs> Genesis fourteen thirteen, And there came one that had escaped and told Abram, the Hebrew, for he dwelt in the plain of Mamre, the Amorite, brother of Eshcol and brother of Aner, and these were confederate with Abram. Abram, not Abraham. Uh, he hadn't changed his name yet confederate That means they've joined forces. Now, confederate is not always bad. If you join forces with God, that's a confederacy. And that's a good one. But 99% of the time in the Bible, a confederacy is rebellion. And it's wicked. In Psalms 83 verse 5. Psalms eighty three verse five. It's hard for a Southern boy to say Confederacy is usually bad, but <laughs> for they have consulted together with one consent. They are Confederate against thee. Don't join that party. Proverbs eleven twenty one. Proverbs 11.21 You know how many stars are on a Confederate flag, don't you? 13 Proverbs 11.21 Though hand joined in hand the wicked shall not be unpunished but the seed of the righteous shall be delivered Okay, so get in the right confederacy (laughs) The seed of the righteous will be delivered Okay, join that, join that group. That's a good army.
1: Amen.
0: Isaiah 7, verse 2. Isaiah 7, verse 2. Now let's notice the wording of this carefully. And I was uh, told the house of David, saying, Syria is confederate with Ephraim. And his heart was moved in the heart of his people as the trees of the woods are moved with the wind. It's Isaiah 7 2. He says, Syria is confederate with Ephraim. Not the other way around. It's not Ephraim who joined Syria, it's Syria who joined Ephraim. It's the world wanting to get in.
1: her earphone must her earphone
0: must have popped out <laughs> <laughs> praise and <worst> mu- music <laughs> okay so Syria is confederate with Ephraim the world joined the church the world joined God's people Syria it shouldn't have been that way Syria shouldn't have wanted to have anything to do with the church why would they want to have anything the church has it should be the church influencing them the way you do that is first you offend them Jesus said all men will be offended in me so I have one question for every religion, every denomination tell me how has your message whatever your dogma is that you've learned how did that offend you unless you've been first offended you've not been changed you've got to see something about me was wrong that needed to change not that conforms to what I want to be something about me was offended and I realized hey I'm bad that's right So that's the main question. What offended you? And let's talk about that and let's see if that's worthy. Jesus said, all men will be offended in me. He says, I'm going to be a rock of stumbling, a stone of offense. That's Jesus Christ calling himself. Okay, I don't know how we got off on that. Isaiah 8 verse 9. This is God seeing their plans, these nations' plans. And he says, hey, I tell you what, let me give you a battle plan. I'm going to help you with your plan. I hate that when you have to help somebody argue against you. (laughs) I have done that before. I remember um, somebody upset that I went to the school I went to that I was going to take a group of people and turn them into something they didn't like. and They said I was a Ruckmanite, and I said, okay, well... they said, "Do you believe everything Ruckman?" I said, "I don't. I don't know. Probably ninety percent of it. But tell me what you don't agree with." They said, well, I don't, I don't. They don't know at that point. It's just a line they've heard. I said, "Well, okay. Let me tell you a few things that you wouldn't like." I said, "I give him. I give him the argument he's supposed to be giving me. <laughs> let me argue with you by arguing with me. That's what God's doing here. Associate yourselves." Oh, you people, and ye shall be broken in pieces. And give ear, all ye far countries. Gird yourselves, and ye you shall be broken in pieces. Gird yourselves, and you shall be broken in pieces. <laughs> Tell you what, all of you get together. And then when that falls apart, get back together. When that falls apart, get back together. Get some more people. <laughs> it's not going to work. Don't join forces with the wrong fo- uh, force. In Isaiah 54, verse 15. Isaiah 54, verse 15. The crowd, the big crowd is usually wrong because that's their comfort. Their comfort is there's a bunch of us so we can't all be wrong. Well, you probably are. <laughs> Isaiah fifty four fifteen. Behold, they shall gather together, but not by me. Whosoever shall gather together against thee shall fall for thy sake. In the end, all of the nations are going to gather together against God and against Israel. It's going to be, if we're going to do the math, it's going to be all of them must be right because there's so many of them and Israel's this little bitty tiny nation. And only a handful of Israel is against the other nations in the tribulation. It's just a remnant of Israel. So they must be wrong if we're doing the math. God says, I've got a higher math than you. <laughs> it's the lower percentage that's right. The rest of you are wrong. Zechariah 14, verse 1. <laughs>
1: Zechariah
0: 14, 1.
1: Only a small whip to the mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Isaiah 14, 1. 14, 1. Did you say
0: Zechariah or Isaiah? Uh, yeah, all of that. Yeah. <laughs> Zechariah 14, 1. Start in Isaiah, and if you read fast, you'll catch up to me. <laughs> Zechariah 14, to 3 Behold, the day of the Lord. Okay, what's the day of the Lord? Second Advent. Cometh, and they, uh, they spoil shall be divided in the midst of thee. For I will gather all nations. This is God talking against Jerusalem to battle. God says, look, they've got a plan they want to get together and they don't even know how to do it so I'm going to help them out I'm going to help them gather together Uh, for I will gather all nations against Jerusalem to battle and the city shall be taken and the houses rifled the women ravished and half of the city shall go into captivity and the residue of the people shall not be cut off from the city then shall the Lord go forth and fight against those nations as when he fought in the day of battle let me show you something real quick. This is in the notes here. Uh, Revelation 17. Revelation 17, verse 16. I really got to hurry because we got a lot to cover. Can't be running all these rabbit trails. <laughs> Revelation seventeen, sixteen. This is the way God works. He takes, you remember Pharaoh. Pharaoh hardened his heart. He kept hardening his heart. And then God started to harden his heart. So God just gives you the desire of your heart. If you have wicked desires, God will help you fulfill them. At some point, he'll help you fulfill them. If your desire is to do righteousness, he'll help you fulfill that desire. Praise the
1: Lord.
0: Yes. Yeah, he answers according to what's in your heart. That's right. Here is the tribulation. Revelation 17, verse 16. The ten horns that thou sawest upon the beast, these shall hate the whore, uh, talking about the Antichrist, and shall make her desolate and naked, and shall eat her flesh and burn her with fire. For God hath put in their hearts to fulfill his will. So, that's what he's talking about when he says, I'll gather the nations together. Okay, I'll just put it in there. They don't know how to do it. I'm going to give them the desire. (laughs) they want to do it they just don't know how so I'm going to help them it's
1: like Jesus (laughs) suffering right there he had to help them none of the witnesses could come together Mm -hmm. so I said look after they were sitting up to the Father and then they were like oh yeah now we are Yep. otherwise they'd still be there arguing trying to figure out Genesis fourteen (sighs) fourteen.
0: Genesis fourteen fourteen, and so that we've gotten this, um, this rebellion, this confederacy. This is the first world war in your Bible. Um, it's all these nations joined together and these other nations and they fight against each other. In the midst of this fight is somebody who gets captured, is Lot. So Abraham's going to go down there and pull him out of the fire. Genesis fourteen fourteen. And when Abraham heard that his brother was taken captive he armed his trained servants born in his own house 318 and pursued them unto Dan. So he armed these men. Um, there's a lot to say about this verse. Let's just look at him arming them. He armed them. Luke 11 verse 21. The Bible is d- does not support a pacifistic mindset God intends you to protect your own he intends you to take force to protect what is yours what he's given you he intends you to protect Luke 11 21 and when a strong man armed keepeth his palace his goods are in peace so if you want to keep your palace Safe and your goods safe, get you some arms. Get something that you can protect it with. That's Jesus saying that, not me. Argue with him. Luke 22:36. Luke 22:36. This is Jesus again. Then said he unto them, But now, he that hath a purse, well, no man man should have a purse anyway, let (laughs) let him take it, and likewise his script. And he that hath no sword, let him sell his garment and buy one. So there's sometimes there's something more important than fancy duds. He says, if you don't have a sword, you better take some of your, um, get in that closet over there, And look through that. Some of that junk you don't have to have. Sell that and go get you a sword. Now, I know everybody wants to spiritualize that. He's not talking spiritually, he's talking physically a sword. How do you know that? Verse 38. And they said, Lord, behold, here are two swords. And he said unto them, It is enough. So, two swords. Two. In the group. Uh, that's right (laughs) two swords so uh, Abraham was ready he said I've got servants in this house and I've got enough swords for all of them because one day we may have to protect this place so I'm going to be sure they're trained and I'm going to be sure they all have something to fight with now we can spiritualize that but you can take it physical physically you should be able to defend yourself and your junk that God's given you. God you're intends you're you to. Your junk. junk. Yep.
1: Junk. <laughs> that's right. He said, he said servants. <laughs>
0: that, well, that's... Everybody in my house is my servant. Right. Um, <laughs> they, get, they need <laughs> That's news to us. I just need to
1: get them a sword. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> okay, that's what I... Okay, good.
0: Okay, good. good. <laughs> okay, so let's move on uh, before I get in trouble. <laughs> Genesis 14, right 14. <Yeah>. Genesis fourteen fourteen. He armed his trained servants, born in his own house. Three hundred and eighteen. That's a big army. Three hundred and eighteen. That's how many servants he had.
1: How many horses had
0: Yeah, that's a lot. However, it wasn't just a drop in the bucket compared to what he's going against. Five nations against five nations. You're talking about 10 armies, 318 men are going against. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Judges chapter 7. Judges chapter 7 verse 7. God likes to work on this kind of math, reverse math. 318 is going up against 10 nations of armies. And here in Judges 7, 7, we find something else. And the Lord said unto Gideon, By 300 men that lap will I save you, and deliver the Midianites into thine hand, and let all other people go, even uh, every man into his place. Look at chapter 8, verse 10. Judges 8 verse 10. Now Zeb and Zalmunna were in Kirkor, and their host with them about 15,000 men. How would you like to face those odds? 300 on 15,000? All that were left of the host of the children of the east. And there fell uh, 120,000 men that drew swords. That's a whole lot of killing.
1: They were busy.
0: Yeah. Uh, and pursued them unto Dan Deuteronomy 34 verse 1 Deuteronomy 34 1 he said when we went after these guys I took 318 of my guys and we went after these people and we just kept cutting and hacking people up and we started and we didn't stop until we got to Dan now that's typically the border of Israel from Dan to Beersheba. That's the if you go to Israel today and ask them what's their most northern and most southern city, they'll say Dan to Beersheba. In the Balfour Declaration, when they were trying to figure out what should we set the territory as for Israel, they said Dan to Beersheba. But the problem is where is Dan? They didn't know. (laughs) There's two Dan's. That's about 150 miles is how far they chased these guys on foot. That's some serious... This is on foot. Or horse or camel or whatever they're using. Deuteronomy 34 verse 1. And Moses went up from the plains of Moab into the Mount of Nebo to the top of Pisgah that is over against Jericho and the Lord showed him all of the land of Gilead unto Dan that's the northern region God says hey look this is how much you're getting remember he's showing them before they cross the Jordan there so that's the southern region that's south Israel and he's got him up on a mountain high enough he can see the most northern tip of it Dan so he's giving them that long view Judges 18 verse 29. You'll find it from time to time when you're reading through your Bible, you'll find another name for it. Judges 1829. And they called the name of the city Dan after the name of Dan, their father, who was born unto Israel. How be it? The name of the city was Laish at first. So if you come across that city in your Bible, Laish, Laish. you know it's talking about Dan. I like the way the Bible defines itself. It'll tell you when something changes, and it'll tell you as it changes, so that you begin to develop the vocabulary to understand what it's talking about. Genesis 15, verse 5. Genesis fifteen verse five <clears throat> This is God promising to multiply the descendants of Abraham. Genesis fifteen five. And he brought him forth abroad and said, Look now toward the heaven, and tell the stars if thou be able to number them. And he said unto him, So shall thy seed be. He said, Tell the stars if you be able to number them. So is he going to tell off the stars? Um, <laughs> no, this is a phrase, this is Old English, tell. means to count. Tell the stars if you can number them, tell them. So we say you have a bank teller. <clears throat> they are in the teal. It's all a derivative of the same root word, tell, to count. Now you'll find that throughout the Bible. You'll find tell, and you'll need to understand what it's talking about. It's talking about counting. Something that has to do with numbers. Um, you'll find something called a tail of bricks. It's that same derivative, tail. It's something that needs to be counted. It's a specific number.
1: What about a title
0: too? Yes, that one needs to take a <laughs> <laughs> Genesis 15, verse eight, uh, 18. Genesis fifteen, eighteen. Genesis 15, 18. In the same day, the Lord made a covenant with Abraham, saying, Unto thy seed have I given this land, from the river of Egypt unto the great river, the river Euphrates. Okay, so that's the southern border. That's all the way from the Tigris and Euphrates to the great river. That would be the Nile in Egypt. And you see that Goshen is part of that territory. In fact, uh, Solomon claims that territory under his rule, Goshen. Uh, This—that's the city, or that's the the territory that was originally given to Israel when they were in Egypt. Pharaoh said, "I'll give you Goshen." Now there arose another Pharaoh that didn't know God and said, "Hey, that's my treasure city. I'm—I'm I'm just letting y'all build it. You can live there, but it's mine." Well, God said, "No, I don't think so." And they came back through and they got it and it will be theirs again. So the real estate uh, that God's given to Israel is a big territory. They've never had all of it. They never will have it all until God gives it to them when he shows up. And he will. God's very interested in land and boundaries. He says don't remove the old landmarks because they're there for a reason. He says I've set up and uh, I've instituted certain portions of land for certain people don't be messing with that that's what i decided (laughs) so god's interested in land most of the time in your bible you'll find land in some reference to israel because there's one spot on this globe that god is keenly aware of and that's the land of israel that's his genesis 15 verse 18 Genesis fifteen eighteen, in the same day the Lord made a covenant with Abraham, saying, Unto thy seed, have I given this land from the uh, from the river of Egypt unto the great river, the river Euphrates. Now look at something. The Kenites, and the Kenazites, the Cadmonites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, zites not Pop, zites, the Raphaim's. The Amorites, the Canaanites, the Girgashites, and the Jebusites. Okay, who are all of these ites? Well, some of them are and some of them are. But they're enemies. They're occupying the land God has given to Abraham. They're the occupiers. They're the original occupiers. So they're not descendants of Abraham, are they? Correct, they're Gentiles. Look at verse 19. What is the second identifier there? Kenizzites, correct. Okay, so recognize that because you're going to find somebody famous who's a Kenazite. Numbers chapter 13. Numbers thirteen, verse six. These are when they're picking out the the spies to go spy out Canaan, twelve spies. Of the tribe of Judah, Caleb, the son of Jephunneh. Okay, well that doesn't mean anything. Good. Glad you didn't think it meant anything. Joshua fourteen, fourteen. Joshua 14.14 Hebron therefore became the inheritance of Caleb the son of Jethunah the Kenizzite unto this day because that he wholly followed the Lord God of Israel. So Caleb was a descendant of one of these Gentile people and he converted to Israel. And somebody in Israel was doing what Israel was intended to do. Adopt him in. They adopted him in. Now, if he could have been adopted by any tribe, he got the best one. Judah. The uh, lion of the tribe of Judah. The scepter will not depart from Judah. That's Jesus Christ's line right there. A Gentile got in. Well, guess what? I'm a Gentile and I got in too. Genesis 16, verse 12. Genesis 16.12 I think this is our last verse Genesis 16.12 This is going to be um, Ishmael Genesis 16.12 And he will be a wild man His hand will be against every man And every man's hand against him And he shall dwell in the presence of all his brethren Okay, so Abraham Abraham produced this seed that he should not have and it's going to cause problems anytime we try to help God out we ain't helping it we ain't helping him out we ain't helping ourselves out
1: That's
0: right. <laughs> it just produced war from now to the end of time um, the descendants of Ishmael are said to be wild and they are not reasonable um, so it doesn't do you any good to have peace talks with the Middle East they're not a peaceful people. They're wild. If they're not fighting you, they're fighting each other. Mm -hmm. Look at the Sunni and the Shia. Shia. No. There's about 12 different groups of Muslims, like denominations. Mm -hmm. And they all fight each other. If they're not fighting each other, they'll join forces and fight you. But as soon as they've conquered you, they're back to fighting each other. <laughs> Always have been. We know, the, um, we know some Muslims in town. There's um, the guy that runs Phanaris Brothers. His family is from Iran. It's a Greek
1: restaurant.
0: But he's not. He's not. No. He's from Iran. And so I asked him about it one day. And he said it's the, the he started explaining to me the differences. But they, those two denominations are the famous ones and they hate each other. Iran and Iraq. They hate each other because they both are a different belief system but both Muslim. And they'll kill each other over it. That's because they're a wild man. God's already prophesied it. They're just wild. Um, the word wild here, there's a, there's a phrase in the Bible that pictures this. It's called a wild ass, meaning a donkey. Um, and we'll find that in Job. It, that's the best description of the wandering, lawless, freeboating life of the Bedouin and Arab, the descendants of Ishmael. Genesis twenty-one twenty. Genesis twenty-one twenty, And God was with the lad This is Ishmael And he grew and dwelt in the wilderness And became an archer The wilderness That's rough living Now some of the roughness Of these Arabs Is because they've had a rough bringing up That's where they lived That'd make you rough <laughs> That'd make you tough But let's keep learning about Job Chapter 11 verse 12 Job 11.12 Job 11.12 For vain man God's got a high opinion of humans. For vain man would be wise that is he wants to be smart though he be born like a wild ass's colt. That's the way you're born. That's your natural inclination is not wisdom. It's just the opposite of wisdom. And by nature, you're just wild. You want everything that pleases you and nothing that makes you uncomfortable. That's just wild. That's a wild ass's cult. The donkey wants everything it wants and it don't care anything about what you want. You're not riding me. You're not telling me I got to go over there. Job 39 verse 5. Job 39.5 Who hath sent out the wild ass free? Or who hath loosed the bands of the wild ass? Whose house I have made the wilderness? Remember, that's where they dwelled. And the barren land his dwellings. That's exactly what the Arabs live in. A dry desert wilderness verse 7 he scorneth the multitude of the cities neither regardeth the cry of the the driver that sounds like some Pensacola drivers <laughs> the, the ranging of the mountain is his pasture uh, now just because it says mountain that doesn't mean that it's a, a beautiful mountain you can have mountains in the desert <laughs> just pure sand piled sky high he searcheth after every green thing, that's what the Muslims have been promised to be as a descendant. Now, this sounds really racist, doesn't it? <laughs> it sounds like I'm getting down on one, on one nation. And it sounds like God is. It sounds like God has doomed one set of individuals. But we've seen before, God always gives the individual an option It's the individual who gets a choice. God is no respecter of persons. He'll choose anybody. However, as a group, he's saying the majority of them are going to do this. This is what their predisposition will be. However, any individual who wants to reach out to me, I'm there for them. And he can change them. Look at Genesis 49 verse 10. Genesis 49 10 it says the scepter shall not depart from Judah nor a lawgiver from between his feet till Shiloh come and unto and to him shall the gathering of the people be binding his foal unto the vine and his ass's colt unto the choice vine he washed his garments in wine his clothes in the blood of the grapes Okay, there's one day that these descendants who are wild and rebels against God are going to be conquered. They're either going to join the the right vine, the choice vine, and be tied, as in not rebellious, or they're going to be part of the blood. And we'll see it in the Bible. The only hope for a wild ass's cult is to be redeemed. In the Bible, I'll show this to you. Exodus 13:13. 13, 13. Of course, the numbers there tell us something. Exodus 13:13. 13, 13. And every firstling of an ass thou shalt redeem with a lamb and if thou wilt not redeem it then thou shalt break his neck and all the firstborn of man among the children shalt thou redeem. No option to break their neck. <laughs> but a wild ass they've been given something specific. You don't find them talking about breaking anybody else's neck because this thing by birth is rebellious just like man. Man is born rebellious. So you either redeem it with a lamb. I got redeemed with the lamb. Or you get your neck broke. That's the blood we found out about. John chapter 12. John 12 verse 13. There's hope for a wild man. John the Baptist would have been considered a wild man. (laughs) But he was in submission to the right person. John 12, verse 13. This is Palm Sunday here. Took branches of palm trees and went forth to meet him and cried, Hosanna, blessed is the King of Israel. King of Israel. What's that remind you of? Millennium. That cometh in the name of the Lord. And Jesus, when he had found a young ass, sat thereon, as it is written, Fear not, daughters of Zion, behold, thy king cometh, sitting on an ass's colt. Okay, Jesus Christ can conquer and tame the wild. Ishmael can be tamed if he'll submit to Jesus Christ. And he will become a good thing or else if he wants to rebel gotta break his neck now let's watch him break his neck 2nd <laughs> Kings 9 2nd Kings nine thirty three. this is Jezebel this is how she meets her end Jehu comes down and they have a throwdown, literally. <laughs> <laughs> Second Kings 9.33. This is Jehu talking. And he said, Throw her down, Jezebel. So they threw her down, and some of her blood was sprinkled on the wall and on the horses, and he trod her underfoot. Now, in and of itself, that doesn't mean a whole lot other than a wicked woman got what she deserved. However, that becomes a picture of something that travels throughout the Bible. Blood sprinkling on the horses. Blood is something that deserved to be shed because she shed innocent blood. Her blood needs to be shed. Isaiah 34 verse 2. Isaiah 34 2. This is all just pure Bible. I, you know, people miss all these sections for some reason. Joel Osteen doesn't have them in his, I guess. <laughs> Isaiah 34 2. For the indignation of the Lord is upon all nations, and his fury upon all their armies. He hath utterly destroyed them, he hath delivered them to the slaughter. Their slain also shall be cast out, their stink shall come up out of their carcasses and the mountains shall be melted with their blood yeah. and all the host of heaven shall be dissolved and the heavens shall be rolled together as a scroll and all the host shall fall down as the leaf falleth off uh, from the vine and as the falling fig from the fig tree for my sword shall be bathed in heaven behold it shall come down upon you anybody know where that is That is, um, you've got the Sea of Galilee, the uh, the Jordan River that comes down and empties into the Red Sea. It would be southeast of there is Edomia, and that is Arabia. All of that Iran, Iraq, all of that heading east toward um, uh, the Tigris and Euphrates. (coughs) and upon the people of my curse to judgment Um, those are some happy go to sleep verses Isaiah 63 verse 1 Isaiah 63 verse 1 the obvious answer he's going to give a question here the obvious answer to all these questions is God who is it that cometh from Edom with dyed garments from Bozrah. Where's Basra? We've been doing war with them. Basra. It's in Iraq. Okay. This that is glorious in his apparel, traveling in the greatness of his strength, I that speak in righteousness, mighty to save. Wherefore art thou red in thine apparel, and thy garments, like him that treadeth the wine-fat, I have trodden the winepress alone, didn't need any help. And of the people, there was none with me, for I will tread them in mine anger and trample them in my fury, and their blood shall be sprinkled upon my garments, and I will stain all my raiment, for the day of vengeance is, mine, uh, is in mine heart, and the year of my redeemed is come. And I looked, and there was none to help. And I wondered that there was none to uphold. Therefore mine own arm brought salvation unto me, and my fury it upheld me. This is a view of God people don't have. And I will tread down the people in mine anger and make them drunk in my fury. I will bring down their strength to the earth. If you read a little more of that and get that viewpoint of God, then you understand why he says fear God. Okay, he's somebody to be feared. He's not only capable of doing this, he's prophesied one day I'm going to. Revelation 14. Revelation 14.20 Revelation 14.20 And the winepress was trodden without the city, and the blood came out. And the winepress even unto the horse's bridle. That's how high up it came. By the space of a thousand six hundred furlongs. The big pool of blood. Revelation 19.11 And I saw heaven open, and behold a white horse. He would choose white because red will show up bright on it. (laughs) and he that sat upon him was called faithful and true and in righteousness he doth judge and make war well maybe he's just talking about somebody who's really righteous and you know tells the truth all the time let's find out verse 13 and he was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood and his name was called the word of God in the beginning was the word the word was with God And the Word was God. One day, Jesus Christ is coming back, and that's the way He's going to show back up. That's called the Day of the Lord in the Bible. The Day of the Lord is the Day of Vengeance. We're going out before that day happens. If you're saved now, you'll come back as a spectator with Him. He'll do all the work on His own, He doesn't need any help. But we'll be there to cheer Him on. He'll have two armies of cheerleaders following Him. And that'll be us. Okay, that's enough for tonight. We'll uh, pick up somewhere next week.
1: Genesis 17.
0: One. All right, Genesis 17. Genesis 17, verse 1. It says, And when Abraham was 90, year, 90 uh, years old and 9, that's 99, 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said unto him, I am the Almighty God. Walk before me and be thou perfect. Okay. No no stress there <laughs> God says be perfect now this is not a new thing he says that all the way through the Bible that's what God expects he expects us to be perfect now he knows you're not going to be but that's what he intends you to do that's his goal for you as perfection um, it's, it's in several places in the Bible in 1 Kings fifteen 14 1 Kings fifteen fourteen. doesn't mean sinless it means perfect um, that is uh, complete whole um, single minded single hearted First Kings fifteen fourteen. but the high places were not removed nevertheless Asa's heart was perfect with the Lord all his days so the indication here is there were so many other things he was doing that the high places he didn't get around to However, his heart was perfect before the Lord all his days. Um, so, perfection doesn't mean everything is nothing could have been improved on. It just means what you're doing, you're doing one hundred percent right between you and God, with a full, um, full mind, a, a, a unity, um, something that you know between you and God is right, and you're not going to waver from it. In First Chronicles chapter twelve. Here we start to see a definition of it. First Chronicles 12:38. First Chronicles 12:38. All these men of war that could keep rank. <laughs> That's saying something. Okay. So if you've got an army out there, you want them to be able to keep rank. They need to march together. They need to stay in step. They don't need to be running over each other and you know, they need to know where they're going. Could keep rank, came with a perfect heart to Hebron to make David king over Israel, and all the rest also of Israel were with one heart to make David king. So perfect there. He's explained it as being um, in step in a unity, and um, we'll find it in Job. We saw that I think last week. Job was a perfect man. He declares him perfect twice in one chapter. In Matthew 5:48, Jesus says. Be ye therefore perfect, even as your Father which is in heaven is perfect. So Jesus himself, out of his own mouth, requires perfection. Um, So, that's something we can always work on. Genesis
1: 17,
0: verse 8. Genesis 17, verse 8. And I will give unto thee, and to thy seed after thee, The land wherein thou art a stranger, all the land of Canaan, for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. Now this is talking specifically to Abraham and his seed that is not Ishmael. Because he defines his seed. Is Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and the twelve tribes? We covered that last time. Um, He says it's an everlasting possession. That is, Israel, God intends to have that land for eternity. Not just here and now, but for eternity. Um, In Psalms 24, verse 7. Psalms 24, verse 7. He told Abraham that he was going to get that plot of land... For an everlasting possession, and then he says, "I'll be their God." So the purpose for them having the land is not just so they can have a plot that they can put on their on their wall that we got a deeded spot of land over here. <laughs> no, it's so God can be their God in that land. Psalms twenty-four, seven. He says, "Lift up your heads, O you gates, the gates going into Israel, or into Jerusalem, and be ye lifted up." ye everlasting doors, and the King of glory shall come in. Okay, that's where he becomes their God forever. That'll be millennium. That's when Jesus Christ comes through the eastern gate as Messiah, sits down on the throne of David, and then all of Israel are turned to God as the Messiah. In Isaiah 9, verse 6, Isaiah 9 6 He says for unto us a child is born Unto us a son is given And the government shall be upon his shoulders So Jesus Christ is going to carry the government He's going to be the ruler And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor The Mighty God The Everlasting Father The Prince of Peace Of the increase of his government And peace There shall be no end And look at this spot right here. Upon the throne of David and upon his kingdom, that's all Jewish, to order it and to establish it with judgment and justice from henceforth even forever. And you don't have to worry about them trying to do it. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. (laughs) It's nothing man has to put together. Now that's important to notice because... There are people who think that we are bringing in the kingdom. That it's a Christian's job to bring in the kingdom to perfect everything and then Jesus will show up. That's not what the Bible says. The Bible says man can't do it. The zeal of the Lord will perform it. In Isaiah 66 verse 22. Isaiah sixty six twenty two, For as the new heavens and the new earth, which I will make, shall remain before me, saith the Lord, so shall your seed and your name remain, and it shall come to pass that from one new moon to another and from one Sabbath to another, shall all flesh come to worship before me, saith the Lord. That's in eternity, not the millennium. But he's saying even there there's going to be a segregated specific nation called Israel. And it's going to be that seed that he declared to Abraham is going to last forever and they're going to get a spot of land forever even after the millennium in eternity. Genesis 18 verse 19. Genesis 18 verse 19. This is when the angels come to visit Abraham before they go down to destroy Sodom. And here's what God has to say to Abraham. Uh, Genesis 18:19. For I know him that he will command his children and his household after him. Let's back up. Let's go, go to verse 17. And the Lord said Shall I hide from Abraham That thing which I do Okay so he's saying look I'm going to do something I've already decided Sodom has to go But Should I really hide that from Abraham I can tell him that stuff And you do You tell things to your friends To your friends You have a normal conversation What's going on in your life You share with them God says hey look Something's about to happen And I really want to tell somebody. Should I really hide that from Abraham? I think I can tell him. Let's see what it says. Um, Verse 18. Seeing that Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation, and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him, for I know him that he will command his children and his household after him, and they shall keep the way of the Lord to do justice and judgment, that the Lord may bring upon Abraham that which he hath spoken of him. So God says I can tell him because I know that I'm not just telling it to a tabloid it's not going to the media we know how faithful they are to report a message <laughs> he said Abraham's special he's a good friend I can trust him so I'm going to tell him what's going to happen and God will do the same for you just like Jan was talking about God prepared her for something that was about to come up God does that He will prepare you for the future. And you find it in the Bible. In the Bible is where you'll find it. He'll start giving you warnings about things, encouragements about things. But that's God talking to a friend. Now he says about him, one of the things that is important to God is he says he commands his children after him. So he's got his household in rule. That's important. Um, It's a picture of something the the house he, we have here on earth is a picture of the relationship God has with His children. And so it's supposed to reflect. He said marriage is a picture of Jesus Christ and the church. That's the reason He gave marriage. So a marriage should reflect that same relationship on earth. The same thing with children. He said they should be in subjection to... Their parents. God is very specific about this. I'm going to cover this topic uh, just because it's here and nobody talks about it. Leviticus 19, verse 3. Leviticus 19, 3. Somebody's under conviction already. (laughs) Leviticus 19, 3. Ye shall fear that's a strong word fear every man his mother and his father and keep my Sabbaths I am the Lord your God now you won't find that in some child rearing book that you pick up off the shelf at the bookstore God says your children should fear you this is God giving instruction to parents why? because we should fear God it's the direct picture if you don't fear God, you think He's on the same level with you. Just like children who think they're on the same level as their parents create havoc. Proverbs nineteen verse eighteen Proverbs nineteen eighteen. Chasten thy son while there is hope and let not thy soul spare for his crying. So he says there's a time when there is hope that you can correct him and he'll change. That also means there's a time that you can no longer chasten him. It will be somebody else's job. So this is God's idea of how to keep a household um, in the right place mirror image of what he intends uh, it to picture in chapter 20 verse 30 chapter 20 verse 30 the blueness of a wound cleanseth away evil spank them and don't worry about leaving a mark now (laughs) you're going to this generation that's coming up now is going to have to do this very smartly because the government will come in and take your kids from you if you leave a mark. On
1: their
0: behind. On, yeah, on their behind. Yeah, you, there's a specific place for it. God made one spot on your body that's full of padding and is designed for a beating. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he says, cha- He says, chasing him uh, while there's hope. And he says, Leave some blue- blueness of a wound that is a bruise. And he said that does something. It cleanses the inward parts. It gives him a clear conscience again. It cleans him up. So do stripes the inward parts of the belly. In Proverbs 22, 15, he says foolishness. Now that's a tough thing to... He didn't say that craftiness. He didn't say rebellion. He says foolishness. That's just being um, foolish is bound in the heart of a child but the rod of correction shall drive it far from him there's a tool god's made (laughs) that is for this specific purpose of driving foolishness away from a person in chapter 30 verse 17 chapter 30 verse 17 it says the eye that mocketh at his father and despiseth to obey his mother he's not saying you discipline for this he's saying I'll do it the ravens of the valley shall pluck it out and the young eagles shall eat it God's in control of the ravens and the eagles he says this is something that you don't correct for I do that's tough in Matthew 15 verse 4 Matthew 15 4 this is Jesus talking he says for God commanded saying honor thy father and mother and he that curseth father or mother put him to death let him die the death that is pretty harsh we don't raise kids that way (laughs) but there would be more tendency to fear your parents in the Old Testament where there was a death sentence that could be pronounced against you would not there now we're not going to I'm not advocating pronouncing a death sentence (laughs) what I'm saying is there should be some fear because of what it pictures what it pictures is God holds your breath in his hand He's in control of life and death. And you should fear him and you should honor him. And if you don't, he said, I can kill you. I can take you out. In Hebrews 12, verse 9. Hebrews twelve, nine. Hebrews 12, 9, says, Furthermore, we have had fathers of our flesh which corrected us. He didn't say scolded us, disciplined us, any of that. He just said corrected us. That, that's a light saying. That's a light word, corrected. And we gave them reverence. So that's what was achieved by it. <clears throat> Shall we not much rather be in subje- in subjection unto the Father of spirits and live... For they, that is your parents who corrected you, for they verily, look at this, for a few days chastened us. I don't know anybody gets punished for a few days. But he's saying here the Old Testament way was you were punished day after day. The punishment that God had instituted in the Old Testament was nothing like any punishment any child has ever received in our day and age. He says they chastened us for a few days. And keep reading. After their own pleasure. Whew. Now. Paul doesn't condemn that. He's justifying that. But he. Talking about the Lord. For our prophet. That we might be partakers of his holiness. Now no chastening for the present seemed to be joyous. But grievous. Nevertheless afterward it yieldeth the peaceable fruit of righteousness unto them which are exercised thereby. All right, one other place. No, maybe several other places. Deuteronomy 25. This is not a popular subject. That's why we're covering it. (laughs) Deuteronomy 25, 1 to 3. Uh, You've seen that in the Old Testament, children were punished for a prolonged period, not just one instant. He said, for a few days. Look at how many stripes you can give them as far as giving them a spanking. Deuteronomy 25, verse 1. If there be a controversy between men, and they come unto the judge, and the judges may judge them, then they shall justify the righteous and condemn the wicked. And it shall be, if the wicked man be worthy to be beaten, he shall be judged. Uh, he shall cause him to lie down, and to be beaten before his face according to his fault by a certain number. Here's the number: <coughs> forty stripes, may he give him and not exceed. So he says, when you give them, when you go to give a spanking. Here's the spanking, a beating, stripes, forty. Between men. Correct. That's stripes. I know,
1: but between men, it doesn't say children.
0: No, but it's the same thing you're doing with a child. You're beating them. You're giving them stripes. You're going to beat them Here's. Now, that's what he says. Mm-hmm. That's why he said, "Don't let your soul spare for his crying, the blueness of the wound." No, well he says not to exceed exceed. so it's up to your discretion Mm -hmm. however you don't exceed 40 and here's why because man has a messed up way of thinking you're thinking it and I'm thinking it too 40 is too much for any child let's keep reading and see what he says lest if he should exceed and beat him above these many stripes then thy brother should seem to thee vile uh, should seem vile unto thee so he says you're cruel if you go beyond 40. Well, I say you're cruel if you go above 5, you know. (laughs) He's saying that punishment is to be severe. Why? It's a picture of something. You're supposed to make the child fear you because one day they'll not be there and they need to fear God. And when God decides to correct them, his 40 stripes are a lot more harsh than a man's 40 stripes. And he says, Look, if you'll have done that, when I go to pull the paddle out, I won't have to give forty. I won't have to go above forty. I won't have to go to forty. Because they'll recognize, oh I've <laughs> I've been here before this hurts. <laughs> I remember growing up getting these. <laughs> That's the picture. Look at one other place, Titus chapter two.
1: Especially if there's so on daily for days.
0: Mm-hmm. For second, Timothy, Titus, Philemon. It's one of those little books before Hebrews. Titus 2, verse 9. Titus 2, 9. Exhort servants to be obedient unto their own masters now I know a child is going to bucket that and say I'm, I'm not a servant <laughs> um, I'm not your servant however you are you are there to serve and to obey just as we are to God that's the picture we are God's servant period so the same applies you're building the picture exhort servants to be obedient unto their own masters and to please them well in all things this next phrase is very important not answering again Mm -hmm. so when you're told to do something you shut your mouth and you do it the Bible says not answering again furthermore he didn't say just do the bare minimum he says right he says, please them well in all things. Your childhood growing up should not be a vacation. <laughs> it shouldn't be, according to the Bible, because it pictures something. When you get out in life, you are in for a culture shock if you grow, grew up as being able to get your own way in everything and not learning to please someone you didn't want to. If you can't learn to do things you don't want when you're a child, when you're an adult and on your own, you're in for culture shock. And God has set it up from the beginning. All right, Genesis two, uh, Genesis 19, verse 2. Glad we're off that subject. Genesis nineteen two. So these angels have come down and they're going to visit Lot and tell him what's going to happen in the future here. But they don't just walk right up to the tent and say, hey, i got some things I need to tell you. And this is exactly what God still does. And he said, behold now, my lords, turn in, I pray you, uh, into your servant's house and tarry all night and wash your feet and ye shall rise up early uh, and go on your ways. And they said, nay, but we will abide... Uh, in the streets all night this is not I told you wrong this is um, when they've gone to the angels have gone to Sodom and they're going to pull Lot out they act like hey we'll just stay in the street you know it's fine here weather's good it's a good night we'll just slip out here he said no don't do that come on in God does this God likes to act as though he's going to pass you by and he wants you to compel him to stay And if you're content letting him pass by, he'll keep on going. He intends you to compel him to stay. Luke chapter 24. Luke 24 verse 28. This is after the resurrection. Jesus has appeared to two on the road to Emmaus. And here's an event that takes place. Luke 24 verse 28 And they drew nigh unto the village where uh, where they went and he made as though he would have gone further but they constrained him saying Abide with us for it is toward evening and the day is far spent and he went in to tarry with them he wanted them to ask him to stay but he wasn't just going to Follow with them. He's not going to force himself on you. You have got to ask God for his presence. Ask him to stay. Ask him to reveal scripture to him. You've got to ask. He's super polite. Furthermore, he's easily offended. Um, Acts chapter 16. <coughs> Acts sixteen fifteen. This is a natural thing. As soon as you get saved, you, you get certain character. When you're born, you get characteristics of your father and your mother. When you get saved, you get characteristics of God. Here's one of them that you should naturally just get. It says, And when she uh, was baptized in her household, she besought us, saying, If you judge me to be faithful to the Lord, come in to my house and abide there. And she constrained us. <laughs> He said, look, y'all are the ones who led me to the Lord. I just got baptized. I'm excited about it. Don't just run off now. Come on in. Hang out a while. Maybe I'll learn something new. That's the same thing that Jesus Christ does. He acts as though I'm just going to keep, I'm going to give you a little bit here and then I'm going to move on. And you've got to say, wait, wait, that's good. I want more. (laughs) Constrain them. Um, uh, Genesis chapter 19 This is the angels in Sodom about to tell Lot he's got to get out. They've constrained the angels to come on in and not sleep in the street. And it says, Before they lay down, the men of the city, even the men of Sodom, compass the house round about. Look at this. Both old and young, all the people from every quarter, these are some wicked men the young men may not have been involved in as much wickedness as the old men but they're still evil it doesn't take the act is what is evil sin is evil sin has been around since the earth began once you enter into it it's just as wicked as the day it began if you've done it once or you've done it a million times, it's wicked. Genesis 13:13. 13, 13. Genesis 13:13, 13, 13. but the men of Sodom were wicked and sinners before the Lord exceedingly. The men of Sodom, we just read about they're both young and old. God says they're wicked exceedingly. So sin, dabbled with, no matter how many times, declares you in the new category, wicked exceedingly. Genesis 18.20 Genesis 18.20 And the Lord said, Because the cry of Sodom and Gomorrah is great, and because their sin is very grievous. Not all sin is the same. There was a sin when uh, Abraham told uh, his wife to say that she was his sister. That's a sin. That's a lie. But he didn't go down and destroy a city for it. There's many, many sins in the Bible that did not create total destruction of four cities Sodom, Gomorrah, Admah, Zeboim. in Exodus 23 verse 2 Exodus 23 2 It says, Thou shalt not follow a multitude to do evil That's probably where the young men in this crowd fell in They were just following the multitude. Uh, Let's keep reading. Thou shalt not follow the multitude or do evil, neither shalt thou speak in a cause to decline after many to rest judgment. Rest meaning to twist. Um, So he says here, there was a multitude of young and old that were involved in this wicked sodomy. And he said, we've seen that God said that was very grievous. A very grievous cry was coming up. And it was exceeding wicked. He says there, don't look at the multitude as having the answer. Rarely does the multitude have the answer. If you can't get comfortable being alone, you'll probably be in the wrong spot in a multitude. Genesis 20 verse 3. Genesis 20 verse 3 this is Abraham has gone down and um, he said his wife who is actually his half sister but he, he says whenever we come into a town you tell them you're my sister because she was pretty and she, he said what they'll do is they'll steal you because they'll want you for their wife and they'll kill me so just say you're my sister and that way they won't think that I'm competition for them and they won't kill me. That's just, I don't know how you do that, but whatever. Genesis 20 verse 3 But God came to Abimelech in a dream by night and said unto him, Behold thou art but a dead man, for the woman which thou hast taken, for she is a man's wife. But Abimelech had not come near her and said, Lord, wilt thou slay also a righteous nation? Abimelech is a Gentile. Verse 5. Said he not unto me, she is my sister? And she, even she herself, said he's my brother, in the integrity of my heart, and in its, how you say that? (laughs) Innocency of my hands have I done this. Okay, so this tells us something about the heathen. Many times there will be the question, what about the heathen who don't know? What about the heathen who don't have a Bible? Some small African nation that has never received a Bible. How did, you know, it's not fair to them. Obviously here, a heathen is getting a witness direct from God. And he knew who it was. God reveals himself uh, and does not leave anybody an excuse. Um, and here we saw Abimelech having a conversation with God knows it's God and knows God will wipe him out if he doesn't do what he says in Romans chapter 2 verse 15 Romans two fifteen, there are certain laws that God has that you can find in the scripture but you can also find them just in your own mind and conscience without a Bible there's certain things you know are wrong. You know it's wrong to lie. Nobody has to tell you that. You just know it's wrong. When you give false information, you know that's wrong. When you commit adultery, you know that's wrong. When you steal something, you know that's guess what? Those are commandments, the Ten Commandments. But those are written in your heart. Let's read it. Romans two, fifteen which show the work of the law written in their hearts their conscience also bearing witness and their thoughts the meanwhile accusing or else excusing one another God says the heathen have something built in even though I didn't give them ten commandments and they don't have the Bible in their hand they do have my laws written in their heart and they know when they break them their conscience pricks them conscience says hey I don't like doing that. That was not the right thing. And so it does, it either excuses or accuses you. Genesis twenty, verse sixteen. So we've seen the story of Abimelech, he lets Abraham have his wife back, and he's not too happy that he got in trouble because Abraham lied to him. Genesis twenty sixteen. Now watch what he says. And unto Sarah he said, Behold, I have given thy brother a thousand pieces of silver. Remember, it was her husband. Behold, he is to thee a covering of the eyes unto all that are with thee and with all others. Thus she was reproved. There's a lot in that. Um, We find the definition of reproof here. Reproved. So if you prove something, you're showing the truth of it. If you reprove it, you're restating a fact. And that's what he's done here. He's restated the fact. Your brother. Now he's saying the word brother sarcastically because that's what she said he was. Although, I mean, he is a half brother. Then he says, He's a covering of the eyes for you. That's what a husband is for a wife, is a covering. That's, we'll find that in a minute. In 1 Corinthians 11. 1 Corinthians 11, verse 4. Uh, verse 4. 1 Corinthians 11, verse 4. Every man praying or prophesying having his head covereth covered dishonoreth his head, but every woman that prayeth or prophesieth with her head uncovered dishonoreth her head, for that is even all one as if she were shaven. for if the woman be not covered, let her also be shorn. but if it be a shame for a woman to be shorn or shaven, let her be covered <laughs> this is all sounds like a tongue twister doesn't it for a man indeed ought not to cover his head for as much as he is in the image and glory of god that is that's the picture he's taking but the woman is the glory of the man okay the woman is the beauty there's no beauty in a man the beauty is found in the woman the man takes a uh, in the heavenly picture the man is taking the spot as God the woman is taking the spot as the church or the bride verse 8 for the man is not of the woman but the woman of the man neither is the man created for the woman but the woman for the man for this cause ought women to have power on their head because of the angels have power on their head that is be covered um, and we've covered that verse in detail before so we won't keep going But Genesis 21 Genesis 21-21 in our story what happens is Abraham um, has a child Ishmael and Ishmael is not the one God intended him to have. He intended him to have a child, Isaac, from his wife Sarah, not the maid. And that's what he did. Um, and so, he Sarah decides, Hey, this was not a good idea after all. Um, she's making fun of my kid, and you know this is going to cause problems, and. Abraham says well hey you just do whatever you want to I, I'm staying out of this <laughs> so he he tells she tells um, Hagar to get lost he says leave pack it up and head out and um, she comes back verse 21 of chapter 21 and he dwelt in the wilderness of Haran and his mother took him a wife out of the land of Egypt so Ishmael is not the seed that God had promised. Ishmael is a mistake, a sin that Abraham had committed. So he's not really Jewish even though he's I mean half half Jew, he's half in the line, but God declares who's a Jew and who's not. And he's decided Ishmael is not. His mother, of course, is an Egyptian. And so when she goes to get a wife for her son, she goes and gets one out of Egypt. Egypt's a picture of the world. Um, Israel, which would be pictured by Isaac, and Ishmael, pictured by Egypt, always have war. You will always have war with the world, with your flesh. There's going to be times that you just feel like you're in a constant battle. The flesh says, do this. Your mind says, I want this. This makes sense. And your spirit says, no, that's stupid. That's what the Bible says. And it just feels like a real tug of war. That's what we have here. Ishmael and Isaac. They're brothers, but yet they're at opposite ends of the spectrum. Genesis 22 verse 1. This presents a problem. (laughs) Genesis twenty-two one, And it came to pass after these things that God did tempt Abraham and said unto him, Abraham, and he said, Behold, here am I. And he said, Take now thy son, thine only son, Isaac, whom thou lovest, and get thee into the land of Moriah and offer him there for a burnt offering upon one of the mountains, which I will tell thee of. God likes to test you with something you love It does no good for him to test you With something that doesn't mean anything to you You don't consider it a test A test is something you love He says the one son that you have That was promised to you That I blessed you with What would it be like if I took him from you It's a temp- He's tempting him is what the verse says Now that will present a problem in a minute God tempted Abraham. Um, That causes problems with a lot of people. In James chapter 1, James 1 verse 13. I don't know if I ought to answer this apparent contradiction or just let y'all answer it. James 1 verse 13. James 1.13 says Let no man say when he is tempted I am tempted with God for God cannot be tempted with evil neither tempteth he any man. Okay. So do you see a problem? James 1.3 says God doesn't tempt a man. God can't be tempted with evil and he won't tempt you with it. In Genesis 22 Verse 1, and it came to pass after these things that God did tempt Abraham. I'll give you some okay. kind of explanation. Go ahead. Alright, so in the next two verses it says, But every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Then when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin, and sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. So that ending was Abraham did not end in death. Mm-hmm. It wasn't about sin. I'm going to view that as a trial, just like Job went through all those trials. Mm-hmm. So I mean, that's my explanation. Okay. Yeah, you have to look at the context.
1: And God's got a couple of words in the Bible that have two meanings, and you have to look at the context. Like, he tells us to remember certain things, and it has to do with our, our remembering is a memory, brain issue
0: and remembering God remembering is a timing like God's timing and God remembered Noah and that's when he caused the waters to <clears throat> he's tempted because <clears throat> the flesh part of him can make a bad choice the spirit part of him is not tempted because it's, it knows what's right and it wants to follow right the control center is you Your mind decides which one you're going to follow. So you're tempted every single day, probably thousands of times a day. God didn't put a lot of evil in your path. In fact, He's restraining a lot of evil from our paths just to keep us from being tempted. But there's a certain amount that He allows in our life to test and train us with. Um, in James, you're in James still. James 1, look at verse 3. We'll find in this chapter that tried, trying, and tempt, and temptation, all of those words are used interchangeably. Knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. Trying. Uh, look at verse 12 blessed is the man that endureth temptation for when he is tried he shall receive a crown of life which the Lord hath promised to them that love him in Hebrews 11 verse 17 it says by faith Abraham when he was tried so tempted and tried mean the same thing according to the Bible and you don't need any Greek or Hebrew to figure that out. You just need to read enough Bible. <laughs> um, in First Chronicles chapter 21, God, God is not the one responsible for the sin. The devil is the one responsible for the sin. God is responsible for allowing it to come into your path. 1 Chronicles 21 verse 1 And Satan stood up against Israel to provoke David to number Israel. Look at 2 Samuel 24 1 Second 2 Samuel 24.1 And again the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel and he moved David against them saying go number Israel and Judah. The king is not supposed to number the people. He gets a curse for that. Um, so God provides opportunities for you to prove him right not prove the devil right. You're being tried and tested. When you get a test at school, it's a test. But the test is not to show what you don't know. It's an opportunity for you to prove what you do know. So it depends on how you want to look at it. Now, a wicked person wants to find fault with God will say, God tempting and testing a man is unfair to the man. Well, no, if you're doing what you're supposed to do and following God... It's a good thing. It's proof the power of God is real and you can overcome normal temptation. In Genesis 22 verse 24. Genesis 22:24. When we go through the Old Testament the way we're doing, we're going to hit some unpopular subjects. <laughs> You, you'll just find things that are that are not talked about. Genesis twenty two twenty four says, "And his concubine, whose name was Ruma, she bare Tiba, and Gaham and that guy Tahashahash, Tehash and that guy." Okay. So the point is not all those names, because I sure don't know what they are. (laughs) The point is in the beginning of the verse, we find something, a concubine. What is a concubine? You'll need to know this, because it's going to pop up throughout your Bible. And you want to know what a concubine is. At some point, you'll have the question, what's the difference in a concubine and a wife? So let's find out. A concubine in the Bible of course is a female almost wife that is united with a man Uh, but in in the marriage relationship or in the household relationship she's inferior to a wife Uh, in the the early uh, days of the Jews various uh, causes of difference between a wife and a concubine was less marked than it would be amongst us the concubine was a wife of a second rank if you want to look at it that way. There's various laws recorded providing for their protection. A concubine got special protection. In Exodus twenty one seven. Exodus twenty one seven. And if a man shall sell his daughter to be a maidservant, she shall not go out with as the men servants do. Okay, so there's special things that um, she's forbidden, you know, to do hard manual labor, in Deuteronomy twenty one ten. Deuteronomy twenty one. Uh, let's you can you can write down in your notes. Uh, verse 10 to 14 but I'm going to go to vor- verse 14 and it shall be if thou have no delight in her then thou shalt let her go uh, whither she will but thou shalt not sell her for uh, at all for money thou shalt not make merchandise of her because thou hast humbled her so a concubine um, while she had uh, she was considered like property And if you decided you no longer wanted this concubine, you let her go. She she's free to go, but you can't sell her. It's not property that you can sell, slaves, and you know barter with. That's not allowed. There was um, they had no authority in the family. As as a concubine, you really didn't have a um, a leadership role. Um, they didn't share in the governing of the household. They were there as um, a pleasure for the man. And this is wrong, but it's here in the Bible, so we're going to cover it. Genesis 21, 14. Genesis 21:14 and Abraham rose early in the morning and took bread and a bottle of water and gave it unto Hagar putting it in her uh, on her shoulder and the child and sent her away and she departed and wandered in the wilderness of Beersheba. So Hagar is a concubine. She's the one who had Ishmael, the the son that God did not intend. Um so she did not have any ruling authority in that household when Sarah decided she didn't like her they could send her away and that's exactly what happens in Genesis 25 verse 6 Abraham does not learn his lesson After Sarah dies, he ends up with more concubines. Genesis 25, 6 But unto the sons of the concubines, which Abraham had, uh, had Abraham gave gifts and sent them away from Isaac, his son, while he yet lived eastward unto the east country. So he gave them gifts, but not an inheritance, because they're not really considered part of the family. Um, they're more of a, a, a higher class than a slave but pretty much a slave um, in Genesis 16.3 Genesis 16.3 And Sarah, Abraham's wife, took Hagar, her maid, the Egyptian, after Abraham had dwelt ten years in the land of Canaan, and gave her to her husband Abraham to be his wife. So a concubine is a type of wife, but not a full-fledged wife. In Genesis 16.16 And Abraham was fourscore and six years old when Hagar bare Ishmael to Abraham. So she's having his child and she's considered a wife, but not just a full-fledged wife, a concubine wife. You'll need that when we get to the book of Judges and we'll cover it deeper in the book of Judges.
1: And they
0: call it today like a kept woman. I don't Yeah, well. I don't it's like I don't they know. Did in the Middle
1: East, where they have wives and they still have that system. Yeah. It's really sad.
0: Yeah. Well, th- this is this is different than a, a hush-hush thing.
1: Yeah,
0: it's out in the open. This is yeah, this is she lives in the house. And it's a known just like um Jacob Jacob had two wives and two concubines yeah it's a mess Exodus 21 verse 7 Exodus 21 7 And if a man sell his daughter to be a maidservant, she shall not go out as the men servant do. But if she, uh, if she sh- please not her master, who hath betrothed her to himself. Betrothal is a marriage. So this woman is not his wife. She's his concubine. But the Bible's calling it a betrothal. So it is a wife, but not a first-class wife. Then shall he let her be redeemed... To sell her unto a strange nation, he shall have no power, seeing he hath dealt deceitfully with her. If he hath betrothed her unto his son, he shall deal with her after the manner of daughters. So God began to regulate it, because he saw the wickedness of man was going to do this. Now, I'm sure this did not start, well, obviously this didn't start with God. It started with them picking up the customs of the heathen. The heathen around them were doing it. So they said, we will too. Everybody's doing it. That's right. Everybody else is doing it. In the New Testament, God restores um, the purity of marriage by declaring it. Matthew 19, verse 5. Matthew nineteen five to 9 And he said, For this cause shall a man leave his father and, and mother, and shall cleave to his wife, and they twain shall be one flesh, just two, not three of you, <laughs> no concubine in the mix. Wherefore, they are no more twain, but one flesh. What therefore God hath joined together, let not man put asunder. They say unto him, Why did Moses then command to give her a writing of divorcement and put her away? He saith unto them, Moses, because of the hardness of your heart, suffered you put away your wives, plural. But from the beginning it was not so. Okay, so this is the concubine stuff. He says, Moses allowed you to put away a concubine, put away your wives with a writing of divorcement, just like we saw they could let them leave, you couldn't sell them, you know, all those rules verse 9 and I say unto you whosoever shall put away his wife except it be for fornication and shall marry another committeth adultery and whosoever marrieth her that is put away doth commit adultery so in the New Testament he's making it very clear I'm not allowing you to do anything like the heathens did I tried to control it with rules and regulations in the Old Testament but your heart is still hard so we're going back to what God set up. What God set up is one man, one woman equals one couple. 1 <laughs> Corinthians chapter 7. 1 Corinthians 7, verse 2. It says, Nevertheless, to avoid fornication. Let every man have his own wife, singular, and every woman her own husband, singular. No concubines in the mix. So, in the Old Testament, we saw them pick up many of the heathen customs, and God begins to regulate them. He begins to give more and more rules. Once you get to the New Testament, he said, look, me being lenient with you didn't work so we're going back to the hard and fast rules God said when, and this is just a good thing to know leniency rarely works for correction correction has to be hard and fast and it's just normal with compassion you want to be lenient but you can't be lenient because lenient does not result in repentance leniency results in let's push the line even farther and that's what's been going on in the old testament jesus christ shows up on the scene and he says none of that two of you can be married and that's it two in a household not three not four not any of that other stuff y'all were doing back there in the old testament all right genesis 23 verse 15 Sarah ends up dying and Abraham needs a place to bury her so he finds this cave in Machpelah and he says hey can I bury my wife here and he says "Not, don't just let me bury her Abraham's a great man and you know it'd be like somebody famous asking you if they could use your backyard for a party not quite the same analogy but close and the the men there are saying hey look you don't have to pay us for anything you're a great man just go right ahead and do it abraham says no i'm not going to just take something i'll pay you for it i want to buy it verse 15 my lord hearken unto me the land is worth 400 shekels of silver what is that betwixt me and thee bury therefore thy dead i like this because it's sarcasm He says, if you read that passage, the man says, Hey, look, no, don't, I'm not going to sell this to you. You can have it. And Abraham says, No, you just tell me a fair price and I'll pay it. Um, and this is the guy's answer. Well, the, it's worth 400 shekels, but what's that even mean? Don't even worry about it. So he told him what he wanted for it, 400 shekels. <laughs> you find this all throughout the Bible. There's a lot of sarcasm. I'll show you another place. Philemon chapter 1. Philemon is a story about a slave who's run off from his master. And he meets up with, with Paul and um, he gets saved and gets on fire and becomes a good, a good Christian. And Paul's encouraging him to go back to his master and serve him. Philemon 1 verse 19. This is a letter Paul wrote for Philemon to take back with him so that his master would receive him. I, Paul, have written it with mine own hand. I will repay it. He says, if this man owes you anything, you just let me know what he owes you and I'll pay it. Albeit, I do not say to thee how thou owest unto me even thine own self beside. (laughs) He said, look, Anything this man owes you, you just let me know, and I'll pay it, but I'm not even going to talk about all that stuff you owe me. Yes right. You need to come be my slave. <laughs> Sarcasms all through the Bible, and it's good. It lightens the mood. All right, we' probably better stop there. We've gone about an hour and a half. We'll pick it up next week in Genesis 2465.